Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Sarah Blandy is Professor of Law at the University of Sheffield. Sarah's research focuses on the socio-legal aspects of property law, including tenure and rights, collective and individual property rights, multi-owned property, regulation of conduct, dispute resolution and access to justice. Sarah is the co-director of the Free Law Legal Advice Clinic and enjoys working with student volunteers and making good use of her previous experience as a legal practitioner. Today, I'm absolutely honoured to welcome Professor Sarah Blandy. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Amanda. It's great to talk to you again. We met in Perth in September, is that right? Yes, absolutely. At a conference. So it's lovely to be connecting with you again. A few months ago now, it was uh, a conference which I think you uh, coordinated there, Sarah, or moderated uh, for Curtin University, property law teachers from around the globe. And it was really exciting for me to be invited there to attend a a one-day roundtable where we discussed all things multi-owned property. It was a great roundtable, wasn't it? Because it was a fantastic mix of academics, practitioners like you. We had some judges there. It was really good, I felt. Yeah. yeah. Now, you're coming to me uh, from, shall I say, Chile, England. Is it a bit cold over there this time of the year? Yeah, a bit of snow lying outside as we speak, yes. Oh, wow. How exciting. <laughs> we think, anyway. Yeah. Well, it's not exciting for us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, summertime here, of course, so a little bit different, but it's wonderful to be able to make these connections and to have you come and chat to us about, um, you, of course, don't call it strata title in England, but how your uh, multi-owned properties work over there. And I was going to get started by asking you, Sarah, what, what is the equivalent of strata title in the UK, if there is one? And are you able to give us a, a brief intro into how it works. I can do that, yes. And now we're talking about the jurisdiction of England and Wales because Scotland is very different and I know nothing about Scottish property law, but we can call it the UK as long as you know the lawyers amongst us know that we're really talking about England and Wales. Yep, good to know. So we have no standardised version equivalent to strata title very much open to the property developer and the property owners to set up the system that they think will fit best. Mm -hmm. And what that usually means is that the freehold of the whole site, and we're talking about a site that might be an apartment block, a large community, you know, a whole range of different kinds of multi-owned properties. Mm -hmm. But the usual system is that the freehold of the whole site is owned by one person, usually a company, and then leasehold titles, long leaseholds, are carved out of that freehold title for the people who live in the separate dwellings or or units. Mm -hmm. So when I say long leasehold, they're often 99 years, 999 years. I mean, these people are owners, but they have a slightly lesser legal title because they're leaseholders. 
Okay. And I guess the, the closest equivalent to strata title is where the leaseholders collectively are members of the company that owns the freehold of the whole site. Right. So they, they wear two hats at the same time, like your strata owners. They're both the, the managers and owners of the whole site, but they also own on leasehold their particular unit. Mm-hmm. And how often does that kind of arrangement happen? Well, it's increasing. We're having more apartment blocks in particular built in the in England now. And I think last year, about 27% of residential property transactions in England and Wales were on leasehold. Okay. So that's over a quarter. And in London, 60% of transactions were on leasehold. And it's becoming more common as you because they can break down those statistics into transactions for new build properties. And that was 46% of new build transactions were, were leasehold. So it's a very much a growing sector. And is that specifically a leasehold where the leaseholders are owners in the company that has the freehold? That's very difficult to discover. <laughs> right. Um, because when, when you see it as a land transaction, it will be the freehold title changed hands or the leasehold property changed hands. Mm-hmm. It won't tell you who is the freeholder. Mm. You can do it in a kind of roundabout way by searching company's house and the, the names of the companies kind of give you a clue. But it's, it's very hard to keep up with that year by year. I think a lot of developers now actually want to build the properties and get rid of them. So they're very keen on transferring the freehold mm-hmm. to the company that's made up of the leaseholders. Yep. So I think it's probably in an increasing uh, sector. Yep. And how then is the building managed? Where do the rules come from? Is that in the terms of the lease? Uh, do you have legislation? <laughs> There's no legislation. It's very much a kind of free market, I guess. Mm-hmm. You, you construct the lease as you wish. So all the rules are contained in the lease. Mm-hmm. But if you have a company that's managing, they will also have their company documents. And those will set out, you know, how many meetings there must be a year, what the quorum is, how you're going to elect officers, the usual sort of company rules, mm. which are also pretty minimal in this country. Right. So the actual obligation to pay what we call a service charge. Yep, like levies. Call it a contribution, owner's contribution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's all in the lease. The problem is that there's no standardised form of a lease Mm. and they're very hard to change the wording and people don't understand what they're letting themselves into when they buy and the leases can be very poorly drafted. They're very long, complex documents. Mm. And there's all sorts of difficulties that arise because of the poor drafting of leases. So listeners might be getting the impression that it's kind of a, a free-for-all over there in England and Wales when it comes to multi-owned properties. And with that in <laughs> mind, that everybody, maybe buildings are falling down, maybe there's disputes, maybe there's a lot of conflict. It's chaos. Is that what's actually happening on the ground? Is it all kind of working pretty smoothly or have we got some troubles? I think it's interesting to find out about places that work well, because there certainly are plenty of sites that, that work extremely well. I think that's a very interesting, it's something I'm interested in researching. Why do things work well? But there certainly are a lot of disputes, on the other hand. And 
I think government is finally waking up to the fact that something's got to be done about this. Mm. There's been a huge amount of uh, legislation over the, somebody counted 200 tinkering reforms, Mm. but those are mainly directed to um, rebalancing the sort of power between, if you like, the traditional leasehold sector where the freeholder is an external company Mm -hmm. who may or may not, but really does have the power to exploit the leaseholders. Mm. So the leaseholders are given rights sequentially and cumulatively to try to redress that balance. Mm -hmm. And the same provisions apply to where the leaseholders are managing the sites themselves. But the issue of the problems from non-standardisation, from unregulated property managers, from poorly drafted leases, that those apply particularly, I think, to self-managed leasehold properties. Mm-hmm. And finally, you know, we had a white paper, government white paper in the summer called, I think, Fixing Britain's Broken Housing Market, oh. in which there is a promise to do something about leasehold right. and common hold, but we could talk about that later. Yeah. Oh, happy to talk about it now. What is common hold? Common hold was introduced by the Common Hold and Leasehold Reform Act 2002, mm-hmm. and it's a version of freehold. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar, I suppose, to strata title, except that I think your system of strata title is so embedded in your Torrens land registration system. Yes. And our land registration system is is defective, I would say, in comparison to Torrens. So we're never going to achieve exactly the same former strata title as you have. Mm-hmm. But common hold was close and it was designed to allow residents who own their units to own them on freehold title rather than leasehold and for them to automatically be members of a common hold association which would own the whole site. Mm-hmm. So we did away with the leasehold and freehold problems but common hold was found to have its own difficulties and As I said, the the Act came in in 2002, and there are so far, I think, fewer than 20 common holds have been developed in this country. So when it came in, it was directed towards new builds, so a developer could build a building and decide it was going to be common hold under this new Act? That's right. right. That's right. And there was provision for conversion from leasehold. Yep but it had to be absolute unanimous decision. And that's very hard when you've got an external freeholder who wants to hold on to their power. The other problems with common hold, which became very quickly apparent, was that why would developers and their lawyers use common hold, which was not tried and tested? Mm. When they're creating a leasehold, they could just you know, dust off the lease template from the shelf and use that. Lenders were very, very reluctant to lend. And in particular, there's no provision as to what happens to their security if, I mean, this is unlikely to happen, but if the Common Hold Association itself had to be dissolved. Mm. So there's a big hole in the legislation there. So very hard to get a mortgage on Common Hold property. Mm. So this white paper that you mentioned uh, that has come out about trying to fix this, does that make some uh, helpful suggestions that you think it's going in the right direction? What, what's going to come of that? 
No, it's <laughs> it's pretty vague, and there is an in-principle promise to consult, which they are now doing. I think more promising, perhaps, is that the Law Commission has included leasehold and commonhold reform in their current programme. Okay. So they will be investigating how these legal gaps can be filled. Mm-hmm. And they will probably come up with a draft bill, um, which the government may or may not adopt and put through Parliament. Mm. And I imagine that uh, England and Wales is, oh, it's so hard to compare, isn't it? Like you said, we have this torrent system, uh, we're much, much younger, we don't have this history that you have there when it comes to land holdings, yeah. and you're so steeped in that, aren't you? Mm. I imagine if the government looks to other jurisdictions like Australia, uh, even like the US and in Singapore, how much guidance can they really gain? When you read this white paper, does it make reference to uh, what others are doing and what we might be able to learn or adopt from those other jurisdictions? Not really. There was a lot of excitement when the 2002 Act was passed. And I think that was drafted with quite a high degree of input from Americans. Mm. Um, I'm not so sure that they really kind of asked you, which (laughs) they should have done, because, you know, the strata titles... Seems to work, mm. or it can work. Mm. I mean, the, the the big advantage I think of the common health system, as it ought to work, is the standardisation of documents. So it's very clear what people are buying into, what their obligations will be. Yeah. What happens with disputes? Is there a centralised place, like we have the tribunal and a specialist tribunal for strata and community scheme disputes? Is there a place like that? in England where people go when they've got a problem when it comes to maybe interpretation of documents or uh, just a problem with their neighbour? Where do they go? Problems with neighbours, less easy to sort out. Yeah. Disputes about the amount that you're being charged, whether it's reasonable, whether that repair was actually necessary. Disputes about don't like the property manager, want to have a different one appointed. Disputes about what is this clause in the lease mean? Mm applications to have the lease reworded, those would all go to our property tribunal. Okay. And they're not being set up for very long, but their expertise is increasing. The more cases they hear, I think that the sound of the judgments and the more precedents they've got to call on and examples of similar cases. Mm. So that, that I think works reasonably well. At least there is a forum there. Yeah, Absolutely. And for a sector that sounds like similar to uh, Australia, that is growing and growing, it's important that those institutions are in place and working well and developing that body of case law that uh, not only lawyers but also owners, residents, other people interacting with those types of properties can look to and rely on and try and get some certainty. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting when you mentioned about the the lengthy history Mm. and there are, you know, there are campaigning bodies who describe the leasehold system as feudal. Yes. (laughs) And these these, uh, freeholders, if you like, who are they? Are they wealthy individuals or just people who have inherited buildings? Are they superannuation funds Mm. or maybe a mixture of all the above? There's a big range, as you say, a mixture of all of the above. Yeah. Um, There are some people, it's a small family company that's owned that building since, you know, it was built in the 1920s. 
they're very kind of personally attached to that building. They feel it's theirs, even though they don't live in it. Mm-hmm. And they're probably the most difficult to deal with. Right. But you also have investment companies that own you know, a vast portfolio of freeholds. Yep. And they're treating them just like share certificates. That's not a building to them. That's a source of income. Mm. And they buy and sell the freehold titles as you would sell shares. Yep. They have no real interest in that particular building. Yeah. Mm, which makes it very difficult. Very difficult, yeah. I mean, one, one problem I should mention, which I think you may have a, a kind of better solution to this, is the property managers who at the moment are completely unregulated. Mm. So I could set myself up as a property manager tomorrow and offered my, my advice and my so-called expertise. Anybody can do that. And that's another issue which has been really kind of bubbling over for many years now. We also have a a consultation exercise going on at present. The government is consulting on whether there's a need to better regulate property managers or to regulate them at all, actually, property Mm. managers. And I think once a property manager has been appointed, very difficult to get rid of them. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, We certainly do have here in New South Wales a system where we have uh, property managers who are trained. They do need to do a a course. It is a very short course at the moment, but we do have a system of uh, being registered and being licensed and we do have compliance mechanisms and continuing education and things like that. There's definitely more work to do here on that side and this is uh, quite a big year for our education and training in the sector and trying to improve the qualifications of our strata managers because they have such an important job to do. We talk about it a lot on the podcast, what the pressures are on strata managers and how broad their knowledge, their expertise needs to be, uh, not necessarily needing to know how to do everything, but needing to know when they need to refer to another expert, uh, who it is they need to be directing their owners to to fix a problem uh, and being able to juggle any number of balls in the air at the one time. I really admire our strata managers, the the level of work that they have to do. So it's kind of mm. scary to think that there are property managers over there uh, in England and Wales who don't have that system of checks and perhaps requirement for education, at least at a minimum level that we have here. So it'd be good to see that moving along. Yes. I mean, I, I'm quite hopeful that that will come in because it is a huge problem. No training, no regulation at all. It's it's absolutely, as you say, it's such an important job and it's it requires a huge set of skills, doesn't it? Mm. But it's quite unbelievable that they're not regulated in any way. And often the developer of a site mm-hmm. will have a subsidiary company or some link with a property oh, yes. manager. They will appoint the property manager at the during the kind of phase before they transfer the freehold to the company that's made up of the leaseholders. Yeah. And of course the contract carries on and that's the difficulty for the leaseholders that they can then not change their property manager. Yeah. We have definitely had that problem here 
in the past and thank you, you reminded me that you raised that point, I wanted to come back to it about the difficulty of ending the management contracts and we've had quite a lot of litigation here in New South Wales on that point sort of the last 15 odd years and we have had legislative intervention there to make sure that that can't happen into the future and particularly with our newest form of the Strata Schemes Management Act here in New South Wales, we now have maximum terms for strata management contracts which are a maximum three years and then it needs to go back to a general meeting, so a meeting of all of the owners to decide whether they want to renew that contract or appoint a new manager. So it just keeps owners engaged in that process and understanding that they can uh, try somebody different if their current manager's not working uh, or make sure that current manager's kept on their toes and keeps providing a high level of service. So I think that's something really positive that we've done here in New South Wales, definitely. Well, I think we should probably take advice from you. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, we're so far behind really. Yeah, it's fascinating when we, I mean, we look to uh, England, of course, as very established, uh, may I say sophisticated and a, a world leader. And when we get into this side of uh, the property sector, it's interesting um, to see that Australia perhaps is a little bit ahead in that respect and England's got some work to do. Mm-hmm. That's very much the impression I got from that round table at Curtin University. Yes, and such is the benefit of those forums, isn't it? Getting people from around the world to share it is. where they're at. It's very different to, particularly when people like myself uh, and Mark Atkinson, a lawyer from WA, was there as well. We're talking about what we're actually seeing on the ground day to day, talking to owners, working with buildings. Yes. And I know the academics in the room were very uh, happy, interested to receive that feedback, which must be hard to get from time to time when you're, um, you know, mm. you, you get stuck in the same uh, circles and in the same headspace, if you like, and we make the same mistake as lawyers. It's wonderful to get out and mix with the broader sector and on an international level even. Exactly. Yeah, so I've, you mentioned the time the co-director of the um, law clinic yeah. um, at Sheffield. We have a lot of these problems coming to the law clinic. Uh-huh. Um, so you, you really see issues that people are suffering with. Mm. Um, the disputes, the difficulties, the problems. That's very interesting for me. I think it does keep my feet on the ground, absolutely. Mm, Very important work. And just from the international level, I was in Paris for another roundtable, and that was really interesting uh, for me because they have a system of civil law. It's all codified. Yes. So I was struggling to explain to them the (laughs) freehold and leasehold system. You know, so it's France, Portugal, Italy, Belgium were represented there and somebody from the French part of Canada as well. Oh, great. Um, And it just seems that same problems, people trying different solutions, but we should really all be learning from each other, shouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Was Australia represented at this Paris conference? No, no, because I think I was the only person there from a common law jurisdiction. Well, next time, you know where to find me. (laughs) I absolutely will. (laughs) Happy to take a trip across to Paris to talk strata. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not my project. You can drop it. You can drop a name. You can drop a name. I will. (laughs) Lovely. Now, everybody on the podcast, Sarah, gets asked the book question. What books have had the greatest impact on you and why? So what kind of book are you talking about? Oh, whatever book has had an impact on you. Uh, We've certainly had all walks of life on the podcast and I do find that academics um, like to talk to me about strata title papers that they've written or read and I say, that's fine. If that's had a big impact on you, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Well, I, I saw the question. I was thinking, well, should I speak personally or should I talk with my kind of property lawyer hat on? Entirely up to you. Um, I think with my property law hat on, I would have to say that the book that just inspires me is, it sounds rather boring. It's not. It's a huge landlord textbook yep. by a married couple, Kevin and Susan Gray, mm-hmm. Gray and Gray. And it is the most wonderful book because it manages to combine sort of practical issues, telling you what the law is, and also kind of thinking about the concepts behind it and the philosophy behind property law. Mm-hmm. And you can just read it like like a novel. It's fantastic. It's beautifully written. It's very funny. Lots of fantastic examples from, you know, their own lives as well. It's um, it's just a terrific book. Great. Not much use to you in Australia, I'm afraid. Well, I, you said it was a huge book and listening to you talk about leasehold, freehold, commonhold, I can imagine why it is such a huge book. Yes. But nice to know that it's there and it, and it would be an engaging read for anyone who wants to find out more about English property law. They're also very international, so there'll be a lot of mention of Australian cases. Oh, great. Comparison with Australian legislation. You know, it's, it's a work of tremendous scholarship, I would say, but a good read too. Excellent. Thank you very much for sharing that. Did you want to share anything on the personal level? Oh, on the personal level, I was thinking back about that and probably the book that really kind of had a huge impact impact on me at an early age was um, Female Unit by Germaine Greer. Ah, of course. So I was at university at Warwick where Germaine Greer was teaching mm. um, English, not law, and um, her book was just out. I you know, read it and thought, gosh, these ideas are so new and interesting and exciting. Yep. Yeah, what an exciting time to be to be studying, to be at university. It was. Yeah. It was exciting. Oh, well, now I know why we get along so well, Sarah. We're in the same space, <laughs> my fellow feminist. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Of a different generation, but great. Yeah, yeah, no, well, that's kind of a little bit sad, isn't it, that we're still going, mm. but that's okay. We're getting there. <laughs> I think we are, yeah. Yeah. Now, it is late over there. I'm talking to you in the morning here in Sydney, but it is quite late over there mm-hmm. in England, so I want to get you packed up and off to bed. How do our listeners find out more about you, Sarah? And do you want to add anything before we wrap up? I don't think I want to add anything. I think it's been a great conversation, and I think I've said everything I want to say. I suppose the best way to find out about me is to look at my webpage at the University of Sheffield, rather boring, but there you go. That obviously has my email. If people want to email me, I'd be thrilled um, to get an email from Australia. But um, yeah, that's where to find out more about me. I will make sure there is a link to that page in the show notes for this episode so that our listeners can look that up. Now, our listeners may not realise this, Sarah, but there are many academics in this space here in Australia who very much look up to you and admire you. And I feel just so honoured that (laughs) I've been able to spend this time chatting with you. And I look forward to seeing you again soon in Australia, if not in England, if not in Paris. Paris, I think, we'll have to go for. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds it's good. It's been an honour talking to you as well, Amanda. I think you're doing a great job over there. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. 
How can Amanda help you today? 